Hello and welcome into another episode of the Lions Lair. After an exciting uh, National Signing Day, uh, exciting, used very loosely there uh, in Penn State terms, but nationally, I think exciting definitely qualifies with some of the stuff that went down. Uh, I am your host, John Sauber. Joining me on the other line is Kyle J. Andrews. Kyle, how you doing? I'm doing well. And, um, you know, I was just taking in everything that was going on during sign-in day. A um, couple commits seeing flip. Um, I mean, some actually not even going to the FBS level and going to the FCS. Uh, I thought that was pretty interesting, um, especially considering, um, you know, I, I feel like the lines are being kind of blurred at this point with certain schools, with some certain programs. Um, I think it's getting really interesting. So I'm, uh, I'm pretty intrigued. I'm pretty intrigued to see how things go. Yeah, I spent uh, way more time in a Fire Norvell spaces on Twitter today than I anticipated uh, while I was working. That was my background noise, and it was pretty amusing. But yeah, Florida State, of course, uh, we're referring to the number two prospect in the country, depending on what site you look at. He's number one. Uh, flipped from Florida State to Jackson State to play under Deion Sanders, who uh, was his childhood idol. Um you know, and I think was part of the reason, if I remember reading correctly, that he was going to Florida State in the first place. But yeah, just a whole lot of intrigue there. But that does not have to do with Penn State, as fun as it is to to follow along with. What does have to do with Penn State is the fact that the Nittany Lions signed 23 players today. Um, I think we anticipated coming in that that number would be 25. That the two that did not sign were offensive tackle Andre Roy, who flipped to Maryland uh, today without announcing it. He just signed, uh, just as his teammate Jayshon Barham did, flipping from South Carolina without telling it, without saying anything, and just signing. Although I think, we, as we saw later from South Carolina head coach Shane Beamer's comments, uh, they were expecting that, and that sort of may have been a ruse on that one. Uh, and then the other one for Penn State that didn't sign is Tyrese Mills, who is uh, Lions 24-7 reported, intends to sign in February, so we'll see where that goes. Uh, evidently, there was some sort of academic mix-up there, according to the story and according to Tyrese in the story. Um, but outside of that, uh, drama-free for Penn State today, right? They signed their 23 guys. They signed uh, what I would say is a loaded offensive class, a loaded class in general, uh, with with a ton of top-end talent. Um, but I think every conversation about this class has to start with one name, right? Like, I don't I don't know that, that anything matters past Drew Aller if he's not sort of what is to be expected. And, and I don't get me wrong, like, I think he's excellent. And I think he will live up to that. But I think his sort of how he pans out will be what defines this class moving forward. Yeah, and I, I can't say I disagree with that. I also think, too, that um, I'll say this, too. I actually, you know what, now that I think about it, I don't fully agree with that, only because I think that there are so many other guys in this class that I think even if he doesn't pan out and, you know, looking at Bo Pribula's, uh, you know, his, his kind of, I mean, I understand that he's not Drew Aller, but I think you have a little bit more, um, if, if one of them, if, if Aller weren't to pan out, you still have somebody, I think, in your back pocket. And we know Pribula is going to redshirt a season. I think that'll, that'll help out a ton. Um, Al would probably, I don't, I still don't know at this point, just because you have so many quarterbacks in the, in the room, I think he probably won't. Um, but, 
I, I just think they have they have a lot of other guys that I think are so high in that I think that even if he weren't to pan out, it would still be in a uh, it would still be in a pretty good situation if you know a couple of these other guys were still as uh, you know they play to their potential. So I mean, it, now I will say you want him to pan out. He if anybody you want to pan out, that is him. Um, you want him to be at least a you know a good division one quarterback. I mean, they're expecting him to be way better than just good. You know, they're expecting him to be a great division one quarterback. So a uh, great FBS quarterback at that great power five quarterback. So, I mean, he has all the tools, but uh, you know, it, it's just, it just takes time to see, um, you know, the only thing I'm kind of, if I, I wouldn't even necessarily say is a gigantic concern, but, somewhat of a concern is his uh, completion percentage. But I also think that, you know, when you're, when you're a quarterback at high school, you uh, you just do what the, court, I mean, the what the coaches tell you to do. You chuck the ball downfield and you see what happens. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, he didn't make any mistakes. He didn't throw a bunch of picks last season. This past season, he only threw, I think, seven picks this, this past season. So, you know, I mean, it's it's not like his incompletions are ending in mistakes. So, I mean, other other than that, I'm not I'm not necessarily concerned about him as a prospect. I think he'll do fine. Um, I think a lot of these other guys will, you know, they'll pan out. I think um, some won't. That's how every recruiting class goes. But uh, it'll be interesting to see as time goes on. Yeah, I, I think the. The counterpoint to that is, yes, Bo Pribola is absolutely a great insurance policy, right? Like he is the level of quarterback generally that Penn State has recruited in the past, someone that can be a good college quarterback. Um, I think the concern is that does Bo Pribola get you to the next level, right? Does he take you to Big Ten titles? Does he take you to national championships? Um, maybe, you know, uh, he, he draws a lot of comparisons to Trace McSorley, um, I think Trace was excellent at Penn State. I don't know that Trace was a, a national championship level quarterback or college football playoff level quarterback, right? Like they had a ton of weapons around him and they will have a ton of weapons around whoever starts a quarterback here in the next few years. But I don't know that that Pribola is on uh, the level of an elite quarterback. And I think he's very good. And I, I don't want that to come off as a knock. I think he can win, lead a team to, to double digit wins and everything breaks right. You know, you can win a big 10 title just as it happened with Trace. Uh, but I think the upside of Aller, and, and frankly, the rushing ability too with, with Pribola, like in this system, just isn't as valuable as it would have been in the previous one. But I do think uh, that they are, they are depending on Aller here. Like the, the need for him to succeed will dictate if they can make the playoff or not. And, and it's not a knock on Pribola. It's not a knock on the rest of these guys. But if you take Drew Aller out of this class, it's not that dissimilar from that that dissimilar from some of their other really good classes, and their other really good classes just got you to double digit wins and you know nine nine ten win seasons contending with Ohio State but not beating Ohio State, which is what they have to do. So I, I it, it is a very good class, and like that's not to dismiss what's going on around Aller, but if he doesn't pan out, then it's just it's just another one of their good classes. Whereas right now it looks like this can be an elite class. Well, yeah. With, with that being said, I think that makes that makes a ton more sense to me, just in in the terms of uh, 
you know, him taking them over the hump. You know, I, I think they'll still be good. But like you said, Aller's going to have to be the guy to take them over the hump to get to that next level. You know, if you if you want to be considered a college football playoff team, you have to have an elite quarterback in college nine times out of ten. I mean, very rarely are there, you know, college football playoff teams that have a, uh, you know, okay quarterback or just a, a decent quarterback. I mean, most of these guys are very good at least. Um, that's a that's a low bar of, uh, you know, being a uh, three, three and a half thousand passing yard guy. Um, well, just to, just to know, back just, that up real quick, uh, the two college football playoff teams that don't have good quarterbacks right now have the best defense I've ever seen in Georgia. Yep. And Michigan has two of the best pass rushers that I've ever seen. So that's what it takes to make up for that. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, could <laughs> could deny Dennis Sutton be the next Aiden Hutchinson? We don't know. I mean, but chances are, statistically speaking, that probably won't happen. But I mean, he could still be great. But I mean, it, it, that I feel like that's more rare to have a totally great defense to have that defense at that level than it is to have just a quarterback that is a very high caliber quarterback. And I understand that everyone's everyone's looking for, you know, everyone's like, oh, quarterback's the hardest position to play. I think quarterback, if if people if people take this with you know, I guess from my understanding, I think quarterback is the position that we have spent the most time on as youth. You know, we have spent the most time on as, you know, camps and everything else. Like they have a billion quarterback camps, you know, so there are a ton of good quarterbacks out there. I don't think they're as good as, you know, defensive ends and offensive tackles and things like that. I think those are less plentiful than good quarterbacks. And I know not everybody, I mean, I think every quarterback that's made it to the NFL has been an outstanding quarterback. It's hard to be a terrible quarterback and make it to the NFL. And I think in college, it's way easier to, to have more good quarterbacks, but I mean, not every college, like you said, not every college football team has a college football playoff team has a, great quarterback, but it takes an elite defense to get your just okay quarterback to that point. So, I mean, to your point, I, I just think, um, you know, Aller, if he, if he can get them over the hump, because we all know this defense will come to play. Um, I mean, it also is going to take a good offensive line. They can't have the same offensive line play that they had this past season. And, and truthfully, I don't think that'll happen. I think they'll, you know, take a very long time to overlook this offensive line and fix some things, whether that's moving some guys inside the guard where I think that they fit a little bit better um, or, uh, you know, figuring out the tackle positions or figuring out center, whatever you need to do. I think that this O-line is due for an overhaul. Um, and I think that also can elevate the play of your quarterback too. And the running game as well. Yeah, no doubt. And, and, you know, just to go back to Aller and sort of what we see in him real quick. Uh, I'm with you. The completion percentage is concerning, like 60% as a high school quarterback when you're the number one quarterback in the country. Uh, feels like it should be higher. That being said, he wasn't playing with the most talented team in the world. So I don't know how much you want to, uh, how much of that you want to put on him and how much you put on the teammates and how much you, you know, he's forcing throws, but still not throwing interceptions. 
Um, just to sort of summarize him real quick from my perspective, from, you know, I've tried to, he, they were on TV a couple of times. I watched them play. I've, you know, you watch the highlight reels, but they're never really truly indicative. You know, you want to watch those full games. Uh, to me, he looks like a big strong arm quarterback uh, who like a lot of modern elite quarterbacks can make a lot of throws from a lot of different slot angles, right? Like, or arm slots, excuse me. Uh, and he, he can move his, his arm as he needs to to get the same zip, the same velocity on those passes to get them to open receivers. Uh, seems like a smart kid, uh, especially on the field, you know, works through a progression, finds the open guys, patient, um, you know, it is a good athlete. I, I think that probably gets overlooked. He's a big physical athlete, but he's a good athlete. Um, he's everything you want right in a, in a high school quarterback uh, at this level, like even knocking him for the completion percentage. Like it's not that, it's not that that's going to be, you know, indicative of how he's going to perform at Penn state, right? Like Mike Yurcich is really good at scheming guys open. Uh, and if you can hit the guy that's open, you can play really well. And generally he, he hits open guys. And as he, as he progresses, as he works with your you would expect him to be able to, you know, uh, up that percentage. Uh, even if he were in the same situation again, right? Like he can make a lot of those tight window throws because of the velocity he can put on the ball and because of the arm slots. Um, so I do think that the, the upside there is still, you know, enormous. Um, that being said, he's not the only guy they took today, right? Like this is, this is a big class. It's 23, uh, signees. Uh, at this point, who knows what will happen next? Uh, James Franklin mentioned today that you know there there are some positions that they could be looking at potentially for uh, whether that's transfer portal or the sort of the second uh, signing day here in February. Uh, he listed offensive line, wide receiver, defensive end, linebacker, uh, and then said possibly a defensive tackle, depending on how things shake out for them. So you know there's still some holes to plug, um, and there's still probably going to be some names added uh, to Penn State that aren't familiar names next year. But let's focus on these these incoming freshmen for now. Uh, I will let you take control of this one. Uh, who would you who to you behind Aller is the most important recruit in this class? I think Dennis Sutton is, um, and, or or Nick Singleton, one of the two of those guys. And I think, you know, one thing I've I've had conversations with a number of people who aren't necessarily. Penn State, you know, Penn State loyalist um, per se. But one thing that they've always said about Penn State is that they bring physicality and hard-nosed defense. And I think that, and and they have great running backs. I think that Nick Singleton is another one of those great those running backs from in-state that can be another one of the great guys of uh, you know the Saquon Barkleys of the world, the the Miles Sanders of the world, guys like that. Um, you know, it, it just, to me, I think he, he brings the culture that they've had, um, for years at that, at that running back position. And he has the, of course he's the, the he's the player. <laughs> I mean, he, he wouldn't just be here if he was a culture guy. I mean, he's a culture guy and he's a great player. Um, it's an outstanding talent. I mean, he's dynamic. I think he would bring that back to the running back room that, uh, I don't think they had this year where they had a home run hitter um, who could also run between the tackles. Um, and then when it comes to Deny Dennis Sutton, I think Deny is cut from the same cloth of a, you know, of a Odafe Owe or, you know, uh, one of the other great defensive ends that they've had in the past couple of years. I, I think that he has every single tool that you would want 
and a guy who is, I mean, he's athletic. He works hard. You know, I've seen, <laughs> I, I was, I was there firsthand to see deny for the past, what has it been three years now? And I've seen his, uh, his hard work and his, and en his enthusiasm for wanting to be the best that he can possibly be. He isn't the kind of guy that's just going to quit. Um, he'll play whatever position you want him to play. Just like today when they said, oh, we saw a little bit of what he can do in terms of being versatile. Um, we saw that with Curtis Jacobs. We know Curtis, you know, played, Curtis played free safety his uh, sophomore season at McDonough. Then he moved down to play, you know, they had him play an outside linebacker, middle linebacker. And then at one point, Curtis was playing defensive end and denies the same kind of way. Um, you know, he's a guy that could stand up. He's a guy that could put his hand in the dirt. He's a guy that could move inside the defensive tackle if needed be in a certain package. So, I mean, he he's a he's a freak athlete. He's also a heady football player, has a lot of uh, football IQ. Um, you know, he can drop in the coverage at times. We've seen that with Odafe Owe. Um, I, I I just think that, uh, you know, he's he's cut from that same, sim, I, I guess, a similar cloth of being a versatile guy, Swiss Army knife that can, um, you know, cut through defenses at uh, any chance that he gets. I mean, offenses at any chance that he gets. And he has good hand placement, too, I think. You know, we don't talk about that enough with defensive guys is that I think offensive tackles, we talk uh, offensive linemen, we talk about their hand placement and getting inside on guys. And I think deny is very good at, you know, that wax on wax off thing that defensive ends usually do. I mean, they they knock people's hands down anytime somebody gets his hands inside on them. He's swiping their hands away. You know, he uses his hands so much especially with his leverage, you know, you would expect a taller guy to just stand up and, you know, if he's powerful, he just dominates them with his upper body. He doesn't do that. He stays bent and he also, you know, uses his leverage. The low man always wins. And I mean, deny stays low, even though he's six foot five and 255 pounds. So, I mean, the, the kid's huge. He's a, uh, he's a talented player. So I, I think, I think those are the two guys that I'm like, yeah, I, I think they can be they can be very special outside of our. Yeah, to me, they're the two safest guys in this class, right? Like, I think they're the two guys that I am, you know, 90% certain that they're going to be very good starters and both still have, like, enormous star upside to it. It's like the high floor, high ceiling type of prospect. Now, touchdown denied Dennis Sutton first. You said it. Uh, the leverage thing is huge with a guy that size, right? When you can get low, when you can stay low, when you can keep your pad level low. Uh, it, it's going to help a ton, especially because, you know, it's easy when you're in high school to just use your athleticism to win, right? Like you can just be a better athlete and beat guys at the line of scrimmage because frankly, you're usually not facing that good of offensive linemen. There's a reason a lot of teams struggle to build offensive linemen in college. It's because there aren't a ton of them that are ready made at a high school. And there are a lot of tight ends that shift down the line after adding weight and all that stuff. Uh, but with deny, like he, he wins as if he's playing in college, he wins as if he's, facing the highest level of competition. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he cracks the defensive end rotation next year. Penn State losing Arnold Abikady should have Adisa Isaac back. I mean, you, you would expect anyways, um, but still not a ton behind him. Uh, we'll see if they add anyone in the transfer portal, but Dennis Sutton has as much, uh, you know, I, I would be as willing to trust him next year as anyone currently on the roster outside of Adisa Isaac. Uh, and we don't know what, what his health is going to look like next year. 
Uh, so I do think he's someone that can come in and play right away and potentially, you know, play heavily for three years and then boot for the NFL because he is that good. Uh, and, you know, you've spoken to him before on this podcast. You can go back in this feed to find that episode if you'd like. Uh, he may come on again. Who knows? Uh, but, you know, he is he is a it, – it is not just football with Deny, right? Like it is – he understands the mission. He understands the well-roundedness of the mission uh, that he's on, what he wants to accomplish. Um, he is – you know, he was an excellent interview. I spoke to him the other day. He was He was excellent. Um, you know, and I think he's a kid that's going to be successful. Uh, you know, we'll see where that's at. He, I mean, you said it, like they could move him all over the defensive line. I'm not saying they should do this, but you could put 50 pounds on him and play him in defensive tackle and have him rushing upfield like a maniac, right? Like he is, he is that level of talent. Um, I do think he's going to be best as an edge, you know, get up to like 270, play at like 6'5, 270, and be an elite edge. Um, whether that's pass rushing or, or, or run block or run stuffing, excuse me. I think he's going to excel no matter what um, to Nick Singleton. Uh, you know, what more do you say about a guy who just won Gatorade national player of the year, right? Like he, he was deemed the best off or the best high school football player in the country for a reason. He had over 40 rushing touchdowns this season, which uh, so I, I did the story on him winning that award. I checked that stat four times because I was like, okay, am I sure I'm not looking at the career for this? No, he had over 40 rushing touchdowns this season. Now their offense, they ran sort of a, a modified wing tee. So they were running the ball a ton. Still wildly impressive to do uh, in, in, you know, any, any sort of high-end high school situation. And, and Singleton comes in ready to contribute right away. Uh, it would not surprise me if by week four or five next year, we're talking about him as the team starting running back. Uh, is the team's all around back is the team's best offensive player. Like, I think all of those things are on the table for him. I think he, you know, he, he draws the Saquon comparison a lot, you know, um, he Saquon gave him the news about the award the other day. I think it's real, right? He's not the sort of, he's not the physical specimen that, that Saquon is few people are on this planet, but I do think he could be every bit of good, every bit as good as a running back. Uh, he said he wants to break every one of Saquon's records. I think it's possible he gets a few of them, which is saying something in its own right. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. I think Dennis Sutton and, and Singleton are are sort of two of the guys that if you go past Aller, that's what you're looking at. Uh, two more guys that I wanted to touch on here, uh, you know, as we just sort of roll through this class a little bit and, and you know, talk about some of these guys. Caden Saunders is the first one. Uh he, I think, I think James Franklin today called him a cross between KJ Hamler and Jahan Dotson, which is uh, pretty damn good, right? Like if that is the the comparison you're making, two guys that run four threes, two guys that were number one options at Penn State, but I, I don't think it's unfounded. He's he's an excellent route runner. He's an excellent athlete. There's some Parker Washington there where he can get physical with guys and go fight for the ball at the point of attack. Uh, he he's always going to be open uh, because of that. That that's the kind of thing that separates Washington from a lot of the other guys on the roster. Because Penn State outside of Malik Mega didn't have anyone in the rotation that could just go be bigger than the opponent. And Washington, while he wasn't bigger, can play bigger. Uh, I think Saunders brings some of that. Um, he's he's an excellent athlete. Gets out, in and out of his cuts with ease. He's probably going to be a returner, right? With how good he in the he is in the open field. He's got excellent hands. The only knock on him really is that he's, I mean, he's listed at like 5'10". I think he's probably closer to 5'8", 5'9". Uh, and, you know, you would like your wide receivers to be bigger, but when they're that good with the ball in their hands, it kind of doesn't matter. As we watched happen with Jahan Dotson this year, the knock on him was that he couldn't add weight and it turned out it didn't matter if he added any weight. 
Um, you know, so I, I think he is a, he's a special talent at wide out and, you know, you can call him a slot only all you want. I don't think that's going to be the case, but even if he is, he's going to be one of the best slots in the big 10, uh, you know, as soon as he sort of hits the ground running uh, the other guy, Kevin Winston, uh, safety from DeMatha, I think might be one of the most underrated recruits in this class. He's a guy when you watch him in coverage, uh, is a is a true ball hawk. He he can make he sees the play in front of him developing. He makes plays on the ball. It reminds you of Jaquan Brisker in that sense, which is an easy comparison to make because well, Brisker's leaving the roster and Winston will be one of the guys that's taking a spot in that room. Um, but but you can see the instincts in the back end. You can see him tracking the ball. You can see him breaking plays up. He's not, you know, he's physical, but he's not the strongest safety right now. There's, I mean, he's a high school senior. He will add weight when he gets to Penn State. Most of these guys do. Then he will add strength. But I think he's going to be really good in coverage. I think he's got to be a chance. He's going to have a chance to be really good in run support. And in this run of strong safety play, like even if he doesn't play this year, uh, which, by the way, I've, I, I forgot to mention, I do think Aller will redshirt. I just with Clifford coming back, it's hard to see them pulling it unless he beats a mountain in camp, which is a win, right? Like if, if, for Penn State, if Drew Aller beats out Sean Clifford, then you have a pretty good quarterback as an 18-year-old, which I think is a win. So it's going to be a win-win for Penn State either way, uh, no matter how that shakes out. But I do think uh, Winston will probably redshirt this year. Uh, if he doesn't, again, that's a great side. That's a that's a young guy taking a major step forward. Uh, but, yeah, I think he's got a chance to be a real impact player down the line. Yeah, I really like Kevin Winston. Um, I saw him play a little bit, too, while I was down in Maryland. And, um, you know, his ball, the ball skills just jump out right off the page. Um, you know, his ability to just be able to track it. Um, and then also scooping and scoring. I mean, he he forced a couple of fumbles uh, last season and he had one fumble recovery in, in particular where he, he he just flat out decked the guy. And then he goes and picks the ball up, runs the complete opposite direction. And I mean, you look at him and he runs like a gazelle. Um, he played receiver in high school, too. I mean, we knew he wasn't going to be a receiver, but James Franklin said that he likes guys that can play both offense and defense, guys that can bring those, you know, ball skills to the defensive side of the ball and receivers that are going to fight through things. I mean, I know he he said, too, that Caden Saunders, he could see him playing, um, you know, cornerback. <laughs> you know, he, he says he brings that defensive physicality to the offensive side of the ball, so... It's the same thing. Um, you know, both of those guys are very talented. And Caden's a guy that, you know, I heard so much about coming up here um, that he was he was just this, you know, freak athlete, a guy who, you know, plays way bigger than his sizes. Um, you know, that, that's something we saw with Parker Washington. I don't I don't I mean, Parker Washington, what is he listed at like five, ten, five, eleven? He's not actually 5'10", 5'11", if you've been Parker Washington is, is five foot nine. Five eight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's five eight, five nine. So I mean, and but he plays way bigger than that, you know. And um I think this is another another guy that they're getting that plays like that, you know, that plays, you know, with that physicality, but also has that breakaway speed that they, you know, that they desperately want. And I think that that's something that, you know, when Penn State has Penn State, it seems to me, has become, you know, everybody always called them linebacker you, but recently it seems to me that they're starting to become a, become receiver you. Uh, it's been a lot of good receivers that have come through in the past couple of years that have, uh, you know, made impacts um, at this level and then also have gone on to make even more impacts at the NFL level. So, 
you know, I, I think Saunders could be another one of those guys that just, you know, proves to be a very talented player, a guy that, you know, I, I like his route running too. I mean, his route running is crisp. Um, I mean, he puts guys on skates and if you have that kind of speed, that kind of strength, that kind of route running, I mean, you could be, you could literally be the size of kazoo and you could be an outstanding receiver. So it, it doesn't even necessarily matter the height. Um, it just matters the the other intangibles to me. Um, you know, I, I might be, I, I can tell you right now, I might be six foot seven, but if I saw a six foot seven receiver out there, how well can he run routes? How well can he go and catch the ball? Well, how fast is he? If he doesn't have any of those other things, I don't care about the height. The height only means so much if you aren't good at everything else. You know, we've seen physical freaks that, you know, that haven't panned out. But, um, you know, when you got a guy that that that's short but also does everything else right, I don't care about the rest, about the height. The measurables only mean so much if you are a great football player. And I think that's what he is. Um, and I, I feel the same way about, Winston, even though Winston has the height, he just doesn't have the weight. So all he has to do is add on about 15 pounds, 20 pounds. And, you know, we're talking about a guy that, I mean, ball skill wise, I mean, I, I put him up there with anybody coming out of the, out of high school right now. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think you sort of hit the nail on the head there. Uh, we will, you know, we, we still have to talk about Manny Diaz here. So I'm just going to run through some guys, which is my favorite thing to do. I'll just list some guys, list some attributes and then we like about them. We've talked about these guys in the past uh, and, and some notes that, you know, from today's press conference. First off, Taylor Stubblefield, offensive recruiting coordinator, wide receivers coach, uh, asked him if this is a cornerstone class offensively. He said he does believe it can be. And part of that's cohesiveness on and off the field. Uh, I thought it was interesting. Terry Smith and James Franklin both talked about the the sort of need to repair relationships in Philadelphia, that things weren't good, essentially, and that they had to admit that they handled things poorly uh, and that things needed to change. Uh, Audrey Snyder, The Athletic, has a story on that that you can read from from this past summer. Uh, you know, Franklin listed all those positions that they positions that they need coming forward or moving forward. We'll see, like we like I said, if it's if it's the portal, if it's freshmen, uh, or how they handle that. Uh, Terry Smith called Keon Wiley his sort of under-the-radar uh, under guy to watch, Keon Wiley being one of those Philly guys. Uh, Tyler Johnson, someone that Taylor Stubblefield said was, uh, you know, not not sort of well-known when they saw him and they were surprised. Like, they first got his tape and they he had his assistant watch it too because he sort of didn't believe what he saw. And then Johnson comes up in camps and runs a 4-4-7, 40-yard dash uh, and said he caught everything. Uh, Stubblefield really impressed by him. He's a guy I think that could could really exceed, exceed expectations here. Uh, I, I think Stubblefield sort of nailed it with the uh, he wasn't on the radar part of this because if he was, I think he would have had way more offers than he did. Um, he also mentioned the, the potential to look for a wide receiver in the transfer portal, which I think is interesting, um, you know, because it's Washington Lambert Smith next year and then kind of who knows. Like Penn State might hope that Malik Mega steps up or Jaden Dotton does, but, you know, it's, it's too much of an unknown. So uh, I think that's interesting that they would like to find what he called a dynamic receiver or a playmaking receiver. Uh, just to go through a few guys, they got one of the best punters in the country. Uh, Jordan Stout could be moving on this year. 
uh, and, and Alex Bacchetta from uh, Westminster School in Atlanta, Georgia, one of the best punters in the country. We've talked about Prabula uh, as the sort of second best quarterback in this class who's still a good quarterback. Uh, and then one other guy that sort of helped build this class, and that's tight end Jerry Cross, who committed without ever seeing campus, wanted to commit even sooner, but Franklin made him tap on the brakes. And then he committed anyways without ever seeing campus and still hasn't seen a Penn State game uh, in person. As, you know, I talked to him the other day and talked about that. So his first game is going to be when he plays or when he's, you know, as part of the roster, which is is pretty wild in this day and age that he, you know, he never decommitted. He stayed the course and him and Caden Saunders uh, were, were two of the major linchpins of keeping this class together and making sure, along with Ken Talley, making sure that, you know, things didn't fall apart. Uh, but overall, I think a really impressive class for Penn State, right? They went seven and five this year. They went four and five the year before. And they pulled in what is, I think, universally a top 10 class in the country, uh, as high as six. Like this is a this is a really good recruiting class with a lot of top end talent. Um, but a lot of that top end talent will be dealing with a defensive coordinator that they didn't know was going to be coaching them until, what, five days ago? We're recording this Wednesday night. Uh, and that's Manny Diaz who has been named Penn State's defensive coordinator and linebackers coach by head coach James Franklin. Diaz, of course, was the head coach at Miami the last three years. He was the defensive coordinator at Miami in the three years before that. Brought the turnover chain to Miami, which I believe is one of the best things to ever happen to college football, and I think you tend to agree with that. Um, has been at Mississippi State before, has been at various other places calling plays before. What was your initial uh, reaction to seeing that Manny Diaz was the guy? Fun. I think it's fun. I think he brings he brings a different kind of energy than I think Brent Pry did. And I think Brent Pry, I mean, both of them brought energy that I feel like works with the with the framework of this program. Um, I think Brent Pry got it because he was from Altoona. You know, I think he understand. I mean, he grew up in the culture. He grew. I mean, he understands Penn State football. But I also feel like Manny Diaz is a guy that. I feel like for the most part, people liked him a lot. You know, he seemed like a very likable guy. And, um, you know, I, I think he's done he's done a decent job with, um, you know, just bringing kids into Miami. And Miami football, I mean, I feel like they were having trouble before he got in there. I mean, they weren't – I don't think they were at the level that he had them at at certain points. Um, I just don't think that they got over that hump. And now – uh, you know, with all the money that they're pumping into that program um, and giving Mario Cristobal literally an arm and a leg, I think that they, they're trying and, to And by the way, quickly. pursuing him while Manny Diaz was still the head coach, like yep. very publicly, like they may not have said it publicly, but it was very clear that they were chasing Mario Cristobal while Manny Diaz, uh, who is from, I believe he's from Miami, was still their head coach. Just he was, a, he was the a lot of disrespect of a, uh, there. Yeah, he was the son yeah, of the mayor. Son of, a son of the mayor, yeah. I mean, he's also a Miami guy. So th that's my biggest thing. They were like, well, you know, I, I heard some people justifying it and saying, oh, Mario Cristobal is a Miami guy. I was like, so is my, Manny Diaz. And I was well, like, listen, even, if he, even if he was, it doesn't matter. Yeah, and Cristobal is yeah. probably a better head coach. But, like, the, show some human right. decency. Like, yeah. he had been with the school for six years. It was so, it was so and, disrespectful. And not it to mention so ugly. And people have thrown this in Manny Diaz's face, and I think it's unfair to him to do so. But so he was the defensive coordinator for three years, right? And then he was Temple's head coach for 17 days. 
uh, because he took the Temple head coaching job. And then suddenly Mark Richt retires, if you remember it, I think it was in 2018. And the, the Miami head coaching job comes open and Diaz takes it, which makes sense, right? Like it was home. He was just there for three years. He had only been a Temple for 17 days. And people were saying that, you know, he screwed over Temple. So it's fitting that he got screwed over here. I think they're, they're two totally different situations. It is not comparing apples to apples. Uh, I think the way that Miami treated him was was not great. Uh, that being said, it'll probably work out for them because Mario Cristobal really is a really good coach. Um, and they seem like they're going to be pumping resources into the program now. Uh, but I, I do think this is an ideal landing spot for Manny Diaz. You said it. They're going to, they should be a fun defense, right? Like the, it's going to be a lot of the same of what we've seen before, right? They're going to run a forefront. Uh, they're they're going to, you know, they're, they're probably not going to, uh, you know, be as passive, I guess, as they were before, which is the biggest difference because Manny defenses or Manny defense. Yeah. Manny Diaz's defenses are really aggressive. They try to get turnovers. They try to get to the quarterback. They try to make big plays. Whereas Brent Pride ran more of a bend, but don't break defense where you, you let those things come to you, right? Like you could drop seven, rush the passer with four, make the offense take what they give you. And I think that's a really effective way to play defense, by the way, like they, they were one of the best defense in the country, under Pry, basically every year he was the defensive coordinator. And the last few years, they were a top 10 defense in the country. So, like, that is a perfectly fine way to play defense. I just think Diaz is going to bring something exciting. I think he's going to be uh, a good fit with the current personnel. And I think, frankly, that it'll be a lot of fun as the sort of uh, unbiased observers that we are. It'll be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to see it. I want to see – I want to see different packages too. I want to see some guys get lined up at, uh, you know, I mean, it's like you're bringing in, you're bringing in guys like denied in a sudden bringing in guys like Ken Talley, uh, Keon Wiley got all those guys, Abdul, uh, Carter. Um, I mean, just, just so many different guys that you can get creative with, with the different fronts you can throw at people. And then we got to remember the current guys that they have too. I mean, when you have, Curtis Jacobs coming back, who is the Swiss Army Knights of Swiss Army Knives, um, and putting him in that front uh, with some of those guys, and maybe maybe throws on a little bit more weight, and he gets he gets creative with him, or maybe drops him back in the coverage. Who knows? It's just so many things that you can do with a Manny Diaz all uh, defense <laughs> with the with this you know personnel that they have. They have a they have a ton of you know, versatile personnel that I think, you know, you could throw out anything. And I mean, they can get as creative as they want to be. Um, I think, like you said, they'll be aggressive. Maybe we see some more corner blitzes. Maybe we see some more safeties dropping down into the box um, and blitzing from there and dropping back. Maybe, a, you know, you drop back a, a, off, a outside linebacker in the, in the uh, or I guess not an outside linebacker, but a defensive end, a defensive tackle back in the coverage or something, something ridiculous, you know, everybody but. loves a good disguise zone, but one of my favorite things to watch when you see a 320 pounder suddenly drop to that, <laughs> that cloud zone. And suddenly he's and like, he's what? trying to operate in space. And you're like, what is going on? And it's always some tall, slow guy. <laughs> yeah. Never fails. <laughs> that just somehow clears. I mean, just obliterates every throwing lane known to man. So it's going to be fun. I'm excited to see it just as a, like you said, as an outside observer. Um, I'm just excited to see what, what they'll do. Um, it'll be different. 
Yeah, and it'll be different for the first time in a while. Uh, Brent Pry was the defensive coordinator here, and uh, you know that preceded Diaz, of course, and Bob Shu preceded him, and they kind of weren't that different from a play calling and a scheme standpoint. Uh, Shoop's defenses played a little more passively, uh, I would say, uh, but but Pry was, you know, of late he started to blitz more. I think this year it helped the team quite a bit because the pass rush was wasn't sort of up to par. And I think that was one of his best qualities was his ability to adapt, especially in the middle of games. He was an excellent, uh, you know, he's excellent with his second half adjustments. Just to go back to Diaz's resume though, uh, his three years at Miami, the defenses got better in 16, 17, 18, when he was the play caller, 19 and 20, he did not call plays for the defense. Uh, so sort of hands off there was just sort of the CEO of the team as, as, James Franklin operates uh, at Penn State. Uh, he did the same when he was at Miami for the first two years as the head coach. This year, he took over play calling duties, and it did not go well. Uh, the defense was bad again. I don't know. I don't know how much you want to sort of put the blame at his feet for that, though. That Miami was a mess this year, uh, and it was going downhill pretty quickly. Uh, so I don't know that that I kind of want to blame him for that. Either way, I think this is a really good hire for Penn State. Uh, I know there were uh, you could get on Twitter pretty easily and see candidates that Penn State fans wanted to get. But I think Manny Diaz was uh, overqualified for this job, frankly, and it is a good hire. The only hire that I would have made ahead of him is Jim Knowles, who went to Ohio State to be the defensive coordinator. Jim Knowles, who's making one point nine million dollars a year to be Ohio State's defensive coordinator. We don't know what Diaz is making. I would venture to guess it's not that much, especially because he's, he got a buyout from Miami and I'm sure there's offsetting salary structure there. Uh, but yeah, Knowles was the only guy that I think sort of would have been above him in the pecking order for me. And, you know, sometimes you strike out on your top guy and the second guy ends up being just as good, if not better. And I think that could be what happens here. Uh, I think Diaz is, you know, we're not going to get to see him coach or anything uh, in, in the in the bull game or anything like that. But I do think he is, um, this will be a good opportunity for him to sort of get to know the team over these these next you know 15 practices, whatever's left uh, leading up to the Outback Bowl. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the defense looks like. I, I presume, I don't know if it's been reported yet, I presume that Anthony Poindexter will call plays. Poindexter, of course, almost went to Virginia, then didn't, and then almost did, and then didn't. Uh, and what was a fun coaching search to follow and, and keep tabs of and um, sort of get info on one to write about. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, you know, it was, it was, it was more fun for me as someone who, who was, uh, who was on vacation technically for a lot of last week. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I think, you know, Poindexter, he has experience calling plays. He did it at UConn. I would venture to guess he'll do it um, in the Outback Bowl. But uh, that brings us to uh, just a note here real quick. Next week, there will be no podcast uh, due to the holidays. So everyone enjoy the holidays. Uh, enjoy your time with your family. Enjoy spending it however you spend it. Um, we will be back the week after, however, uh, with a preview of the Outback Bowl. This is going to be here before we know it. I will be in Tampa. Uh, I believe at that point I will already be in Tampa, you know, with and we'll have all of your coverage down there that you need. And Kyle will be, you know, covering from the home front, helping out there. Um, covering high school sports excellently as he does, uh, you know, and we'll have Penn State men's basketball coverage and everything for you too in the coming weeks as that sort of continues to ramp up. But that'll do it for this week's episode of The Lion's Lair. If you want to read Kyle and I's writing about all those things, you can find it 
at senderdaily.com backslash sports podcast. You can find both of us on Twitter. You can find Kyle at, at Kyle J. Andrews underscore, and you can find me at, at John Sauber. Uh, if you'd like to subscribe to the Center Daily Times, uh, do it at centerdaily.com backslash sports podcast, where you can get it at a discounted rate. Uh, thank you for tuning in and have a great day. <laughs>